There's no handbook for your child's health, but we do have a podcast featuring world-class clinical and research physicians covering everything from your child's allergies to zinc levels. Welcome to Kids HealthCast by Wild Cornell Medicine. I'm Melanie Cole, and joining me today is Dr. Virginia Pasquale. She is a Gale and Ira Drucker Director of the Gale and Ira Drucker Institute for Children's Health at Wild Cornell Medicine, and Arone Menschel, Professor of Pediatrics at Wild Cornell Medical College. She's here with us to talk about lupus in children. Dr. Pasquale, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. People hear about lupus, they don't typically think of children. Can you help us to understand a little bit about this and how it occurs in children, the different types, at what age? Give us a little brief overview of pediatric lupus. Yes, so I agree with you that people normally think that lupus is a disease of young females and that children might be spared from it, but this is not the case. Unfortunately, up to 20% of patients with lupus started their disease before the age of 16. So that means if there are about 250,000 people living with lupus in the US, up to 50,000 are children. So it is not a very common disease, but definitely can affect children. Thank you for clearing that up. How do patients present? Because as I understand it, Dr. Pasquale, this is a difficult diagnosis to make in children. Do they go to a dermatologist? Do parents tend to think it's eczema and so they don't pay too much attention to it? Can you tell us a little bit about how it presents the symptoms and what would parents notice that would send them to their doctor? Yes, that is a very good question. And I can tell you that what you are asking me is absolutely one of the major challenges that we have in the field of lupus. Lupus is a great simulator. That means it can give rise to symptoms that involve basically every organ in the body. I like to say when I try to explain what lupus is, it's a disease that can affect anywhere from the hair follicle to the tip of the toe. That gives you an idea. When there is such tremendous heterogeneity in the clinical presentation, it's obviously going to be difficult to make the diagnosis. So patients with lupus can start by presenting rashes in the face or in some exposed areas in general, and this might be the reason why parents take the children to the doctor. Or the presentation can be very silent and mainly, for example, affect the kidney again, in a very silent manner, so that when the patient and the parents start to notice that there is something wrong, the kidney might already be involved and there might be inflammation that needs to be treated pretty soon. So it is hard for me to tell you what are the most or what are common manifestations of lupus that may take parents to think about the disease because it is even difficult for doctors, for pediatricians to recognize the disease in many cases. So once the disease is recognized, what kind of physician is working with children? Are these pediatricians with a specialty in this? Is it pediatric rheumatologists? Speak a little bit about who then the parents would take their children to and then speak a little bit about how kids typically respond. What kinds of treatments and things are available? 
Yes. So obviously the first physician who is going to encounter a child with lupus is the pediatrician. And again, it requires skills to recognize that this could be lupus. But there are some blood tests that help in this case. From the pediatrician, as soon as the pediatrician realizes that the disease could be lupus, then the patient would be referred to a pediatric rheumatologist. Pediatric rheumatologists, like myself, are pediatricians who have done extra training in rheumatic diseases. And obviously one of the diseases we handle or we treat the most in our field is lupus. So typically when we encounter a patient with lupus, the first thing that needs to happen is a very thorough examination of every organ system in the body. Because as I already said, lupus in children as in adults can affect every organ from the brain to the skin to the kidneys to even the blood vessels. So after the diagnosis is made, treatment has to or should start as soon as possible because if lupus is not treated, it can progress from one organ to many organs in the body. How do we treat children with lupus? Well, we treat them exactly in the same way adult patients are treated. The medications that we use to control lupus in general have a purpose, which is to suppress the immune system because the main problem that patients with lupus, children with lupus have, is that their immune system is overreacting, is reacting to the child's tissues, like is reacting to foreign invaders, like is reacting to viruses, to bacteria, to microbes in general. So in patients with lupus, the microbes are not there, what is there is an immune system that is targeting the tissues of the patients. So we need to suppress that immune system. And the way we do it is using drugs like steroids, which are very broad immunosuppressants. That is the first line of therapy when we encounter a child with lupus. Steroids are effective at controlling the symptoms of the disease, but as many of you know, carry many side effects. So because of this, we do not want to use steroids for a very long time or at very high doses. So what we do is add very quickly additional immunosuppressive drugs that are going to help us try to get rid of the steroids as soon as we can. Now, in the field of lupus, unfortunately, it's not like in asthma, for example, an asthma attack is treated with steroids for maybe a few days, few weeks, and that's it. When a patient, when a child comes with lupus and we start the steroids, those steroids are going to be used for a much longer time. And again, in addition to the steroids, we would use other immunosuppressive drugs. There are different kinds of immunosuppressants. For the most part, they work, and we are able to control the flares of the disease but because the disease goes with flares, remissions, and again flares, again, we need to treat these children for a very long time. 
can you tell us a little bit about lifestyle, behaviors, things that parents can help their children with at home to make some changes that can help ease some of the burden of what you've been discussing here today? And even being on steroids, for example, comes with its own complications, as you say. What can parents do to help this be a little bit less of a burden on their child? Yes, well, parents can obviously ask for every other aspect of childhood. They can do a lot. So first, I would say it's very important to have conversations with their children. It is a very scary situation all of a sudden to realize that your child has a chronic disease. It's scary for the parents. It's very scary for the children. They don't understand that these kids are going to need to visit their pediatric rheumatologists quite often, that they are going to be treated with these broad immunosuppressants. Sometimes these drugs need to be given through the vein, IV, and as you can imagine, this is a scary situation for every child and every parent. So being very open about discussing first with the pediatric rheumatologist, then at home, discussing with the children what is the nature of this disease, how to best cope with the challenges that are going to present in the following months and years, and also to give a positive outlook. We do have today medications that clearly control the disease, and it's very rare to end up with very severe organ damage that is going to require, like in the past, for example, a kidney transplant. This is a situation that today with the therapies we can for the most part avoid. So it's very important to discuss this openly with the family members. And I would say that is the first step. The second step obviously is to help physically the child to make sure that the child is going to continue being a child and is going to be able to do what children want to do. So. There are things, obviously, that need to be avoided. For example, we know that one of the triggers of lupus is exposure to sunlight. So wearing sunscreen, avoiding the hours of the day, especially in areas where there is a lot of sunshine, avoiding that exposure is very important. At the beginning, it's difficult for kids to understand that they need to care about being exposed to sun. But as soon as they understand they can cope with it and it's not such a big deal. So those are very simple things, but very important things. And from there on, again, I would say it depends on where lupus is affecting the child. Sometimes lupus affects the musculoskeletal system. It can cause arthritis. It can cause inflammation in the muscles that lead to weakness. So to learn how to cope with that, to recognize the symptoms and seek treatment as soon as possible so that in the end, the child is not going to be physically limited or limited as little as possible by lupus. These are all very important components of how to handle lupus in the pediatric age. Another very important aspect of the treatment and parental control of lupus is going to come with, for example, diet. We were mentioning that Steroids are the first line of therapy for this disease. Steroids bring many side effects, including retention of liquids, of fluids in the body, high blood pressure. So controlling the diet is going to be a very important factor. A low-salt diet, 
exercise and making sure that the blood pressure is going to be monitored at home. All these are simple measures that parents can do and are going to help very much in the long run. As we wrap up, this is such an educational podcast. Dr. Pasquale, thank you again. And can you please just speak about the importance of the medical home working with other professionals? You've mentioned a lot here today, exercise, diet, rheumatology. There's so many different providers involved. It's really a multidisciplinary approach right from the get-go. Can you please speak about the importance of all the providers working together? And if you have any information about alternative therapies, people are always looking for all these other kind of things and diet and exercise could be considered two of them, but just wrap it up with your best advice about all of the providers involved to help a child that's growing with lupus. Yes, that is again a very good question. So when you have a disease that can affect every organ in the body, you can imagine that a single specialist is never enough. So lupus many times affects the kidneys. Lupus can sometimes affect the brain. It can affect, as I was mentioning earlier, the blood cells, the blood vessels. So a multidisciplinary approach to a patient with lupus, in this case to a child with lupus, is fundamental. So we pediatric rheumatologists work in very close collaboration with nephrologists, with neurologists, with dermatologists, with uh, hematologists. I could go on and on. These are essential components of the care of a child with lupus. And the good news is we physicians know that lupus is a difficult disease to diagnose, it's a difficult disease to measure the disease activity, how sick or how much better a patient might be from clinic visit to clinic visit. So seeking the help of our colleagues who are specialists in each of these other domains that can be affected by lupus is very, very important. So a multidisciplinary team approach to patients with lupus is absolutely fundamental. Now, regarding alternative therapies, I would say that we have mentioned what to me are the most important ones, diet, exercise, avoiding triggers of lupus. Those triggers can be anywhere from sunlight to sometimes infections. So we know, for example, that bacterial infections can trigger lupus. So if a child with lupus develops any sign of infection, it's very important to immediately seek medical attention. In addition to that, I do not think that any alternative approach like medicinal plants or any other approach in this other regard has proven to be efficacious in treating lupus. I would say that even today in the year 2022, we have to rely on medications that are approved to treat lupus. The good news is there are many new things coming. There are many new forms of therapy, very sophisticated ones, that are being tried in adults with lupus and that as soon as they are approved to treat adult lupus would be tried in children with lupus. And I can tell you that the landscape is phenomenal. There is a lot of research going on in the field of lupus. Many new drugs that have shown already in a small clinical trials that they can offer help to the patients. They still need to be tried in larger clinical trials, 
But overall, I am very optimistic that in the next 10 years, we are going to witness a number of drugs that will help us control the disease with hopefully much less side effects than some of the drugs we are using today. You've made some excellent points. So informative, Dr. Pasquale. Thank you so very much for sharing your incredible expertise with us today. And while Cornell Medicine continues to see our patients in person as well as through video visits, and you can be confident of the safety of your appointments at Wild Cornell Medicine. That concludes today's episode of Kids HealthCast. We'd like to invite our audience to download, subscribe, rate, and review Kids HealthCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. For more health tips, go to wildcornell.org and search podcasts. And don't forget to check out our Back to Health. I'm Melanie Cole. Back to Health is your source for the latest in health, wellness, and medical care for the whole family. Our team of world-renowned physicians at Weill Cornell Medicine are having in-depth conversations covering trending health topics, wellness tips, and medical breakthroughs. With the spotlight on our collaborative approach to patient care, the series will present cutting-edge treatments, innovative therapies, as well as real-life stories that will answer common questions for both patients and their caregivers. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to rate us five stars. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Wild Cornell Medicine as an institution.